Hey guys, welcome to the One Life Church podcast. We're so glad you're joining us today and we hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith. Enjoy the message. Unity through diversity. I entitled my message today, Love, Accept and Forgive. One thing I've learnt through this topic is that I can't stop the diversity from occurring, but I can stop unity from happening. Every believer, every single one of us, is vital to the unity of the body of Christ. Put another way, unity in the body of Christ is dependent on the body of Christ. Each and every one of us, we all have a role to play. Unity requires a conscious decision to be involved in the unity process. Unity just doesn't happen. doesn't automatically happen. Something we have to work at, a conscious decision. To me, diversity is different. Diversity doesn't tend to take any real effort to occur. I believe diversity is either naturally occurring or God-given. Diversity is everywhere. Creation, skin colour, race, religion, looks, skills, abilities, interests, personalities, just to name a few. There's diversities in all those things. I firmly believe we can forget about trying to have unity with the world and concentrate on making a commitment to have unity within the body of Christ. That takes enough effort of, it, of its own. Unity in the body of Christ is a big enough challenge for every single believer. See, and it's impossible anyway, because God's spirit and the world's spirit, they're at enmity with one another all the time. They just can't coexist. So the spirit that's in us is always at war with the spirit that's in the world, the world's spirit. So... We need to have unity within the body of Christ, within the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, unity one with another. And praise God that he's given us his Holy Spirit to be able to do that. And I believe unity within the body of Christ is impossible without the involvement of his Holy Spirit. That's why I ask him for help. See, God created us equal, but he didn't create us the same. We're unique individuals making one body of believers, which is a challenge in itself, isn't it? See, the Bible talks a lot about the diversity of gifts God has given to each believer, but it's the same spirit, his spirit. And uh, I won't read those gifts out, but I'll take it up in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. That's us, the body of Christ. And we're part of one part of the body of Christ. As I mentioned earlier, diversity is everywhere and is growing. It doesn't take much effort to be diverse, or maybe more accurately, perverse, perverse, or perverse, whatever it is. So unity takes commitment effort, not just passive involvement. Sometimes we can have a passive involvement. Yes, the pastor, he's all into unity. The leaders, they're all in the unity. We can be in the background thinking that's okay. And we're, and we're, oh yeah, we're part of unity in our church. But it takes an individual involvement as well. An individual commitment to have unity. One thing that reminds me of uh, commitment and involvement is bacon and eggs. <laughs> That's a great meal, isn't it? 24-7. You can have that any time, night or day. Bacon and eggs. 
<laughs> but you think about the hen and the pig. The hen was involved, but the pig, well, he was committed, wasn't he? <laughs> hey? There was a commitment there by the pig. <laughs> the hen had just had a passive involvement. Sometimes we need to be like that pig. We need to be committed. Lay down our life for the commitment of the unity. Lay down our life for the advancement of the kingdom of God. But uh, you've probably heard me say this a few times before. I read a a book a few years back called Love, Acceptance and Forgiveness. And some of what I'm about to share is not necessarily directly out of that book, but some of it is based on it. And uh, I've recently reread some of it. I haven't got all the way through yet. But to me, these three things, love, acceptance and forgiveness, are very vital to unity within a church, within an organisation, within whatever. Uh, I'm not saying that they're the only three things, but they do overlap somewhat and are inseparable, really. Love, acceptance and forgiveness. You've got to love the person or persons. It's God's creation. We've got to love them. Got to accept the differences and forgive their weaknesses. We'll start with love. There's so much about love in the Bible. My uh, simple summary of, of love is God is love, Jesus is the lover, and we are the loved. When you think about it, God is love. You want to learn about love, it's all about God. And Jesus is the lover, the lover of our souls, and we are the loved. God loves us. Someone years ago sang a song. I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. I don't even look it up. I don't care. But I just remember those things. Of course, they weren't singing about real love. They weren't singing about God's love, agape love. They were singing about lust instead. That's what they were singing about. But if we want to know what real love is, we need to ask God to show us. Well, in fact, he already has. He already shown us what real love is. By sending his son Jesus to die for our sins, And also Jesus showed his real love by taking up and being obedient to the Father and coming and doing it. Praise God that Jesus, or praise Jesus that he was obedient to his Father. Therefore, there's no need to ask God to show us love. Instead, we need to ask him to help us to love like he does. How can God love everybody? (laughs) We might ask that question. We might think that at some time. How can God love everyone? surely he couldn't love everyone now we might be thinking that sometimes my answer is that we're his creation that's why he loves us he has a vested interest in us we belong to him jesus has a vested interest in us because he died for us he laid down his life freely for us he has a vested interest all those people that we think are unlovable unlovely jesus has a vested interest in them And God has a vested interest in them. How many of us love our creation? How many of us love our own? I I love my grandchildren better more than I love your grandchildren. I don't say that in a nasty way, but that's just just the way it is, isn't it? You love your children more than you love someone else's children. But therefore, if we're all God's children, sinners and unsinners, God loves us equally. He created us equally. He loves us the same. We've got to love God's creation. If we don't love God's creation, then we're not really loving ourselves as well. We're part of the God's creation. We need to be able to say, well, okay, I don't agree with that person. I don't necessarily, you know, but I've got to accept that person, love that person and forgive that person. 
there's a, there's a difference there. See, because of Jesus' sacrifice, every repentant sinner receives the reward of eternal glory. Every single one receives the reward of eternal glory. See, repentance is the first thing that separates a believer from a non-believer. It's just the first thing that separates us from a non-believer. Love for God and love for his creation are the other, some of the other things that separate believers and non-believers. See, love is not an optional extra. That's the thing. Love is not an optional extra. We can't just say, well, okay, I'll just love the ones that I want to love. I'll just love the, the lovely ones, the ones that agree with me, the ones that love me. I'll just love those ones. You wouldn't have that many to love, would you? <laughs> but when we, God says we need to love him and need to love his creation, that includes everyone. I want to turn to 1 John chapter 9. No, it's not that. 1 John chapter 3, sorry. 1 John chapter 3, reading from verse 14. No, 13. Just to read me notes. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Well, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. bit sobering, isn't it? Praise God. Um, I had read the Bible a few times but I hadn't really highlighted that. God hadn't really highlighted that before until this week. And I thought, whoa, you know, I've got to be careful here. <laughs> Verse 14. True love for the brethren, the body of Christ, brings with it an assurance of salvation. So true love for the body of Christ. I know I'm saved because I love the brethren. That's the confidence we can have. That's an assurance we can have in our salvation. I know that I'm saved. I know I have salvation because I love the brethren. That's the confidence we need to have. And if we ain't that stage of the confidence, in our confidence, then we need to get to that stage and praise God. I'm asking God to help me to get to that stage. Hey, God, I don't want to be in death. I don't want to remain in death. I want to love the brethren. Yeah, I, you know, I want that assurance from you that I love the brethren. And uh, see, I'm saved because I love the brethren. Confirmed by an inner drive that leads us to care and love for one another. See, Jesus loves his body. Therefore, we must also love his body. We're no choice. We're part of the body. You know, we could read on in Corinthians. You can read on there where, you know, the eye and the foot and the hand and all those kinds of things. You can't have one without the other. We need, the body needs the body. The body of Christ needs the body of Christ. We need one another. We're all vital. We're all part of that. As I said early, earlier, you know, we can't stop diversity. We can't stop differences, but we can stop unity by our attitudes. We can stop unity by our prejudices we can stop unity by our unforgiveness we can stop unity from all sorts of things we need to be ones that hey i'm on that unity path i'm going to dwell together with my brothers in unity i'm going to allow the peace of god which surpasses that understanding to be upon us all all those kinds of things acceptance first thing to understand about acceptance is that it's not agreement it's not agreement Accepting the differences of someone is not the same as agreeing with them. That's the, th that's the, the, the thing we need to understand. 
So you ever, ever stopped and thought how many things you disagree with in a day? Things you see, things you hear, decisions that are made. I could spend hour, hours telling you about the things I disagree with. I'm sure we could if we're honest with one another. There's hours and things we disagree with. We'd be quicker to share the things what we agree with. It'd be quicker for me to share with you the things I actually agree with. We all have opinions and all beliefs that are the only ones that matter to us. <laughs> That's the thing. They all matter to us. We're the only ones. We've got the opinions. We've got the beliefs. We've got all those things. And all that matters to us. And if someone else, if it doesn't matter to them, then we start to reject them. Then we start to condemn them. Then we start to get offended. And all those things can come in. So that's where unity can fail. But the thing is, we accept one another. We love one another. We don't always have to agree with one another. But we do love, accept and accept one another. And uh, see, I'm right. And anyone who disagrees with me is totally wrong. <laughs> we can have that attitude, eh? I don't understand other people. How can they not think and behave like me? Surely it's natural to be just like me. Surely, you know, surely it's a natural thing. Why can't everyone else be just like me? Wouldn't be right, would it? Yes, exactly. Thanks, Murray. That's exactly right. It's exactly right. That's why we need one another. That's why we all make the body of Christ. We're all different. God's made us unique. We're not the same. We're created equal, but we're not created the same. God has made us that way. We need to accept it that way and say, well, okay, I'm glad such and such is like that. You know, without them, then it wouldn't make me pray as hard as I do. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't be able to pray for them or whatever the words are. See, why, surely it's natural to be just like me, perfect in every way, except what matters to God, loving God and loving him, others as well. That's what matters to God. Doesn't that what the New Testament says? You know, the, the two new commandments or the, the Ten Commandments summed up by the two, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, soul and spirit and your strength and the second commandment is like it, love your neighbour as yourself. You know, it's all summed up there. And that's what God's called us to do, to love our neighbour as our, ourself. If we're always right, if we're perfect, then shouldn't our neighbour be the same? If we love ourselves for that, can't we love our neighbour the same way? When you think about that, there's a slight little thing in there. You know, if we're loving ourselves for who we are, then we need to be able to love someone else for who they are as well, is what I'm saying. See, loving someone and accepting them just the way they are is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus mixed with sinners so much that the self-righteous got offended almost constantly. Almost all the time they were offended. Doesn't mean he agreed with the sinners. It means he loved and accepted them. That's what he did. He loved and accepted the sinners. That's where he was found. He was bringing sinners, you know, to repentance. He was bringing sinners to freedom. He was bringing sinners to their real life, who they really were. He didn't hold their weaknesses against them. See, one classic example is found in Luke chapter 7. Turn there. Verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. The only one. No. 
when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. (laughs) See, no love and acceptance there, is there, from the Pharisee? Just unrighteous judgment of Jesus and condemnation of the woman. That's what he's got there. See, Jesus released her into her future. The Pharisee was trying to keep her in the present and in her past. But Jesus was releasing her into her future. He was going to release her into who she really was. The Pharisee just wanted to keep her there by just pouring condemnation, by keeping her in the prison, by keeping her where she was. You know, don't you know, I'm not touching this woman. What's this woman doing here? Obviously, I'm making paraphrasing or whatever. But that thing is, see, he wanted to keep her locked in the, uh, locked in the past, trying to keep her dead in her trespass and sin in her prison. Instead, what the Pharisee really did, according to 1 John 3.14 that we already read, yeah, read earlier, was keep himself in death, spiritual death, because he had no love, no compassion, and those things, and his unforgiveness, he stayed where he was. He was staying where he was. That woman was released. That woman was set free. See, forgiveness needs to be part of love and acceptance. Needs to be part of it. I can't say too much about forgiveness. Jay did so well this morning. And... Uh, the, Forgiving the weaknesses of others, not condemning them for their weaknesses. That's the difference. And all their addictions. A lot of people that we condemn, a lot of people that we have issues with, they're, they're just stuck in a weakness. They're stuck in an addiction. They're stuck in a place. They don't even know where they are. They don't even know that they're lost. I told you the story last time I was preaching about me, but I won't say that story again. But the thing is, a lot of people are lost and don't know they're lost until they're found. Hey? They're so lost. People are lost. They don't need us to put petrol on the fire that they're on in. They need us to drag them out of that fire with the love of Jesus Christ, with the love, the acceptance and the forgiveness. And Jesus was dragging this woman, or well, not dragging, but bringing this woman out of where she was. He was speaking into her life. The Pharisee wasn't. See, I don't want to be like the Pharisee. Can't afford to be offended at someone else's sin. Offense in itself is a pathway to sin. The offense definition, one of them, a trap, a snare, an enticement to sin. That's what an offense is. It's a trap, it's a snare. It entices us to sin. You know, James 1, 14 and 15, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desire and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin, and when it is full grown, brings forth death. When sin is full grown, it brings forth death. And that can just start with an offence, a temptation of some sort. And then offence, and then an enticement. You know, but I believe the enticements are in our, in, in our spirits in the first place, in our lives in the first place. If we have an issue with something, we have an issue with lust, the last thing you want to do is start watching, watching those kinds of movies. That would be the last thing you do. If you have an issue with, with violence, 
Why would you watch a violent movie? What's it going to do? It's going to engender those things within our lives. We need to be ones that say, hey, that issue's in my life. I have not yet overcome that. I will refrain from that. I will withdraw from that. And I'm going to press in to Jesus Christ. I'm pressing in and doing the opposite of what God's called us to do. Uh, sorry, the opposite of what the world wants us to do and all what God's called us to do. Let's finish the story in Luke. Verse 40. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me therefore which of them will love him more. Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who forgave more, he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this? Who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I believe this means she was no longer at enmity with God. She was free from the weight of sin. She was free from the weight of shame. She was free from the weight of guilt. All the things that had been weighing her down, Jesus had freed her. That's why she was at peace. She was at peace with God. The things that she didn't want to do, the things that she may have, you know, like Paul, the things she didn't want to do, probably she was doing those things. So now she came to Jesus for love, for acceptance, for forgiveness. And that's what she received. See, this was a new experience for her. Jesus had loved her, he accepted her, and he had forgiven her. She hadn't experienced that before. I don't, it doesn't say that. This is what I believe, it, how it went about. See, no one else had ever treated her according to her true worth before. A creation of God. That's the true worth. That's our true worth. A creation of God. If you're struggling yourself and you're thinking, I'm not, I'm not worthy, I'm not worth much, you know, just remember you're a creation of God. Come to Jesus. What does he do? He loves you. He accepts you. He forgives you. That's what he's done to this woman. No one had done that before. The Pharisees had an opportunity, but what did he want to do? He wanted to condemn her, not to love her, not to forgive her. See, through her sin, well, say Jesus ministered every hurt. He ministered to every need. He ministered to every hole in her life. Through her sin, she was looking for someone to love and accept her, and all ever she got was misuse, condemnation, and rejection. See, before we give people what we believe they deserve, we need to give them what they need. That's what Jesus did. Sometimes we go to give people what they deserve, you know, through unforgiveness. But really what they need is love, acceptance and forgiveness. 
I need the power of God to touch their lives. See, unity will really blossom when we love and forgive and accept one another. That's when it'll blossom, despite our differences, despite our diversities, despite our whatever it is, how God's, you know, how God's moulding us and where we're up to and all those kinds of things. You know, I believe unity in the body of Christ will blossom when we love, when we accept and when we forgive one another. Allow the Spirit of God to do have his way in our hearts. Let's bow our heads this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the releasing of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for that anointing. We pray, Holy Spirit, you come right now. You minister to every hurt. You minister to every need. You minister to every hole that would be in people's lives. Lord, every hurt. Lord, every, Lord, every form of unforgiveness. Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, you come and minister into every life right now. Minister by your Spirit, Heavenly Father. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, you have not yet met Jesus like this woman met Jesus, today's the chance to do that. Today's the opportunity. Please come. Please come this morning. Open up the altar. Please come. That woman came into the Pharisee's house. She was bold and courageous. She came into that house knowing that she was judged, knowing that she was condemned. But how about you come this morning, if you're not born again in God's Spirit, you will not be judged, you will not be condemned in this place, but you will be led to Jesus Christ. That's the difference. But also, if you have a need this morning, you want Jesus to meet your need, come, come for prayer this morning. Allow the Spirit of God to touch your heart. Allow the Spirit of God. We may need help in some area, I believe we all need help in the love, acceptance and forgiveness. And God knows that. That's why his spirit is alive and moving in this building right now. His anointing is upon us. That nudge you're getting, that's not from the person alongside you. That's from the Holy Spirit. 